Welcome to Speaking Highly with John Huck. I am your host, John Huck. With me, as always, Indy Fawcett. If you like the show, if you've been enjoying it, if you think this is worthwhile podcasting, please like button, subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help, and it takes you three seconds, you know? Just lightly so, tap it. Yeah, lightly tap yep. it. We're not asking yep. you to smash it. No more. Um, no more don't with the smash. Punch, don't punch the like button. Don't... Don't hit it with any objects. It's just a light tap. It's a light little, tap. Little tap, and then once you're done there, hop over to the audio platforms and rate and review. Yeah. You know, hit us a five stars. It really helps uh, Really helps the show uh, elevate. Yeah, and also, yeah. I, I don't. I like seeing the comments. So if you there was an episode you liked more than others, or if there's... And I, and I am open to constructive criticism. I'm not gonna. Yes. If someone's like, "Hey, you're fucking ugly," I'm not gonna respond. But one if the, someone's one like, one of the best reviews on the audio platforms on the Apple audio platforms is, "I'm only here for John Smoker laugh." It's, it's the <laughs> <Okay>. best. It's <laughs> the best. Uh, it's the best comment there is. That's great. Which is which is comical only because like I don't smoke. You know, <laughs> yeah. what I mean, like like if I smoke, if I chain smoked or was a smoking on the podcast, you know, I. It would right. be like they'd be like, well, that's why his laugh is like that. But I, we, it's, my brother laughs the same way, just with this like. <laughs> it's like, all air, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, my parents don't never laughed like that. I don't know what the. I don't know. Um, but speaking great of laughing, laugh. great, great laugh by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm into any laughter at this point. I went out and did a show the other day. It was like ten people there, not even, and uh, got a couple laughs and was like, oh well. That felt good. It really does feel good to be back doing stand-up. And I'm not saying like, like again, I'm doing small shows with nobody in the audience. And I, st- I I'm like, uh, I say later, and we're talking to Henry, but I'm done caring about how many people are there. If you show up at a show that I'm on and you want to see comedy, you gotta get some fucking comedy. All right. It might not. It might. Some of it might be read from a piece of paper because it's brand new. Some of it might not be the yeah. funniest shit you've ever heard. But I think. And I, another comic said she'd showed up to watch the show, and I was like, oh, that's nice of you to support. And she's like, you know, it helps me to see that other people are also rusty. And I'm like, that's fair. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Because, you know, guys like, you know, and not that we all compare ourselves to someone like Bill Burr, but he is, you know, kind of a gold standard these days. And that dude, yeah, he slowed down during the pandemic, but that he still found a way to put shows on and people would bend, bend over backwards to put a show on with him involved because he is a draw and he makes them money, but, and he's fucking hilarious. But, um, you know, guys like that who get to do, do more of it during the pandemic are less rusty. And then people who didn't do any of it are like, uh, breaking out. It's like, you know, Tin Man, like, Well, like like you said, like I came up with the the grand idea of of trying to do open mics, <laughs> and uh, you gave me some advice over text that was just you know if you, if you're not willing to do it for free for the rest of your life, don't do it. Yeah, or, I I, or it's I attribute not for that. You. Yeah, I attribute so. that to. I think that's a Kyle Kinane quote, but it's because pe- people. Shout out Kyle. Yeah. If he if he is like me or any other comic who performs in clubs or bars or wherever, people will. You you seem very accessible. So people will then give you advice or tell you what you should do or, you know, so that kind of stuff. Um, well, it's I don't helpful. know. It's, it's helpful for me. Yeah. Because well, like, well, oh, that's, cause I'm sorry. From, that, what, from my perspective, like I come from like a lo- like a lover of comedy 
instead of like I don't I joke writing is a mystery to me. It's just I understand get somebody acquainted with with the premise and make them laugh. Like it's it's very simple and just be funny. Like that that's what's so funny. It's it's, it's just simple. Like, it's, it's simple so on simple. paper. But what right. what I was what I meant was when when people ask you after shows like, "Hey, you know, I'm I want to do yeah. comedy or I'm thinking about getting into comedy." And and you know, you don't want to be discouraging, but you also want people to understand that like reality. when I'm featuring for Dan Cummins and it's a sold out weekend in Nashville or whatever, yes, that is a high point. But yeah. when I separate from Dan and go out on my own and I'm not in Nashville or I'm in a, you know, a place with less, less people or the club is smaller or it's not a club necessarily, but like you have to love it. You have to love it and you have to be willing yeah. to do it for little to no money because paying your bills with it is very difficult um, paying your car insurance is difficult. You know, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be discouraging. And Henry's uh, great segue. Henry yes. really proves that with this. Our picture. guest today yeah. is Henry Phillips, who is one of my favorite comedians of all time. And I can see why. <laughs> dude, <laughs> I mean, he, and also he, what I'm talking about this willing to do it for free. Like he made a movie called punching the clown in 2008 or nine. And it, is about that experience, being a road comic, being, you know, brushing your teeth in a lake and washing your pits in a sink and crashing on couches and club owners screwing you over and bookers being shady. And, you know, it's essentially like being in a band, but there's no other bandmates to have your back. You're by yourself, you know. But he made this movie and Punching the Clown, like I said, it's on Amazon now. You can get it. It used to be on Netflix, but it's on Amazon. And it is hilarious. It's very funny. It's very well written, and it is essentially a collection of stories that happened in Henry's life once he started doing stand-up. He's a super interesting guy. We're going to have him on multiple times because we barely scratched the surface. We talked about one movie. He's put out a sequel to Punching the Clown. He's put out uh, – he has two web series. One is called Henry's Kitchen, where he is a cook. Great show. prepares meals. Yeah. And uh, gives you step-by-step -step instructions. And then one is a show called Highwayman, where he, it's very, <laughs> he patterned it after Highway to Heaven, where Michael Landon just sort of walked around and then would show up and be like, hey, looks like you're having some trouble. And then he would help people because he was an angel or whatever it was trying to get to heaven. But Henry plays a guy named Jake Evans who just wanders around and bumps into people and helps them by being the most unhelpful pain in the ass <laughs> that's ever existed. It's, I mean, I've done a couple of them. I've worked with Henry a couple times. And he, first of all, he's a, he's a joy to work with on a set. He's just a super talented, super funny. But also, he's the first comic. I was at a party, and he said something about being on the road. And he goes, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I said, well, I don't get on the road as much as I'd like. And he goes, well, that doesn't, that's crazy. You're hilarious. And I'm like, well, that's very kind of you. And he goes, I go, and I, then I said something like, and if you ever need a feature, you let me know. And he was like, huh. And then literally while I was sitting there, he called his manager and said, hey, when I do Peoria next month, can I bring a feature? And they were like, yeah, you can. It says you can. And he asked me right there. He's like, hey, do you want to go to uh, Illinois? And I was like, what? Yeah. And from that, I did a weekend with Henry at the jukebox in Peoria, Illinois. And from that, Dan Conlon, the owner of the jukebox, who loves Henry, and all the local comics love Henry because Henry is a, a personable guy who's fun to be around. Um, they were all like, oh, come back. I, I 
headlined for or featured for Henry on the coldest day of the year. It was a February coldest day of the year, and I was back in August on the hottest weekend of the year to headline, which is rare. Usually, I'll feature somewhere and then not for another year will I be able to come back. But this was like come back in six months or whatever, and it was like the universe whoa. was like this is John Huck's moment here. Boom. Well, yeah. I, and again, I look at that like is it lining up in the sense that <laughs> Henry took me to a club that already loved Henry. So if Henry loves me. Uh, they love me by proxy and and it did work out i mean <clears throat> dan is a phenomenal guy I've, uh, had been back to that club several times um yeah i mean it's just working with henry is a joy and and he's a solid dude solid dude he's from southern california but he has a very midwest um loyalty to him so uh <clears throat> without further ado guys henry phillips and punching the clown enjoy it All right, uh, here I am with Henry Phillips, everybody. Um, Henry, thank you so much for being here. Hey, John, good to be here, man. Um, just, I guess we'll start at the beginning because I'm, I'm hoping that if there, there are people, because I, I bring your name up a lot. Like whenever I talk about comedy with anybody who's asking me, like, well, who should I listen to? You know, because there are people that don't, take it upon themselves to find things that they think are funny. You know what I mean? They need someone to tell them. And I don't, and that's not like a bad, I'm, I'm just saying like people aren't going to do their own research. So if somebody, anybody asks me like, Hey, I, I kind of like comedy. Who should I be listening to? Or what should I be doing? And I always bring your name up. It's like one of the first oh, names man. that comes up because I feel, you know, there are a couple people that I met out here in Los Angeles that I'm bewildered at their, lack of fame i guess or celebrity status um because i just feel like and, and you're one of those people you're just you're very talented you are a, a and i think of which the, one of the key things for you you're a very good storyteller you're a very good storyteller like you're the you're like my dad in the sense that you could tell a story the same story over and over again and even if i'd heard it i'd be like huh, 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 and i would sit like being on the road with you i would watch your set which I don't do for every comic, but I would watch it every time just to hear the stories again. And, and they're the same stories, but I still, there was just, there's just a way that you tell a story that is, is lost on some people. There are people that are not good storytellers. It's a skill, but anyway, so let's start. Why, why comedy? Um, let's see. <laughs> I, I, I guess when I was, uh, growing up, I, I did take myself pretty seriously, like extremely seriously. Like for me, the most traumatic thing that could ever happen was if for some reason I was humiliated in public, <laughs> obviously like, like farting in, in uh, a class in like fourth grade or something would be like, I think that happened to other kids every now and then. And I would just like have nightmares about what that must be like to have everybody looking at you and just like oh my god that must just be like i would just jump off a cliff like it was just traumatizing to me and maybe uh when i got older i think after a while like you you just get kind of overwhelmed with the kind of crippling uh effect that 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 kind of fear has on you and then suddenly when you start laughing at yourself it feels good you know you're just like especially if you're laughing at your own failures uh, I, I met a couple of friends in high school 
that uh, like we didn't go to our prom. Like there were like three or four of us. And I remember we all went to um, I grew up here in Glendale and I we all went to uh, Damon's Steakhouse down here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is still there. It's like 35 years ago. And uh, we just all laughed at what losers we were that we didn't go to the prom, you know, and for some reason it felt good. <laughs> like was that uh, was that like a. Um, the point where you were like, hey, this is, I mean, everyone who you were with was also making fun of themselves. It was kind of a yeah. group, oh, yeah. a group mocking. That was the beginning of it. Yeah. That was the beginning of like, you know, there, there is life, uh, where you were unsuccessful at something that was like climbing Mount Everest and you didn't make it, but you do get the reward of being able to laugh about it with people. And I, you know, that just sort of happened. And, and all of a sudden, uh, it just sort of um it's framed everything in my life you know i was a singer songwriter and i was trying to write these serious songs you know that were like you know wear my heart out of my sleeve type things you know like uh you know like in the early 90s with a lot of this coffee house type stuff and uh yeah. and it didn't go anywhere and then somehow that sense of humor started creeping into that you know i started just singing about how uh just horrifically <laughs> bad i was with meeting girls and uh <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and when, and you, as you know, like when you start getting laughs from people, like that's a very thrilling feeling, like that's an amazing feeling. And so, yeah, I don't have to tell you how I got addicted to it from that point on, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, once, well, once that turn was made and you chose to not take yourself so seriously and not be yeah. Because I can, like, you have a great voice and you're really good at the guitar. So I can, I can picture like the kind of early '90s songs you might be writing that, like, yeah. you could play by yourself. That would be emotional. That would get people. Oh man, I really, Henry's a yeah. deep soul, you know. Yeah. Um, but so you didn't like, like a lot of people will get a laugh from their parents and be like, ooh. Oh, that, that was good. You know, that was some attention I liked. And then it, it, it can grow from there. Were you not like, I mean, were, were your parents worried about you? Were they like, oh, Henry's so serious. He's like. Uh, well, my dad always had a really good sense of humor and he was always uh, very encouraging of anything uh, stupid, you know, like, I, so <laughs> yeah, like he, he was always, I mean, really like, yeah, he was really, uh, it was pretty funny because he. Uh, would take people by surprise, you know, when he was because he looked pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he'd be like an upstanding member of society or something. Right, yeah, a like shriner, a, a senator, or a priest, or something like that. <laughs> and, um, but he, uh, yeah, he he would just say something that, like, my friend, you know, if he was giving our friends a ride home from school, he would just say something, and I don't, I don't really remember any specific examples, but my friends would be like. So was your dad joking when he said that? Like, what, was, what was he talking about? And uh, but yeah, that was always pretty much encouraged in our family, you know. Yeah, and your dad, your dad, it should be mentioned. Your dad was an is an actor, was an actor, yeah, an actor. yeah, yeah. Um, and your mom was in commercials, and so you, your family was like, um, they were performers. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, they're performers, but they're but in a sense that like. Like your dad wasn't George Clooney or Clark Gable or, you know, it wasn't like he had these, he had, he was, a, he was a working actor. I think that's yeah. my, he was a working actor, which is a, is, is rare in, you know, by, by itself. But then, and I just want to touch on this 
quickly because I bring this up a lot whenever I talk about you, which sounds like I'm a crazy person who just sits around talking about you, and that's not the case. (laughs) But um, you'd mentioned, because we had you on the Hollywood Anonymous podcast, and we probably had you on the full count. I mean, I've had you on every one of my podcasts. But uh, you talked about how your dad was slotted, kind of picked to play the role of coach in the Cheers pilot. And well, he he wasn't picked. He was uh, there was uh, a pilot. He he had done Taxi and and really killed it. You know. Yeah, he had a guest and, guest starring role on Taxi. Yeah. yeah, and then they came up with a new show, Cheers, and my dad was one of the guys that they were looking at. Uh, he didn't have the part; like it wasn't offered to him. But uh, he, at the same time, got offered to play the bad guy in the movie Porky's Two, and which. You know, it's um, it coming was, off the heels of Porky's for anyone probably who- more money than he had gotten for the last three years of his acting job. And then to stick around town for a show that you didn't have the, it locked up and that you didn't know if it was going to go beyond the pilot thing. So, yeah, there was no. But, yeah, we've all often mused about, like, what would life have been if my dad had been one of the original cast members of Cheers, which very possibly could have happened. It could have, I and I and my life probably would have been very different, you know. Um, but also, so many other lives would have been very different. Like, yeah, if the guy who got picked to play coach, um, if like your dad is still alive, so if this right. the, the guy who played coach passed away, and that opened the door for Woody Harrelson, yeah, and I'm not saying Woody Harrelson wouldn't have made had a successful career on his own, whatever. But I think about that. Like if your dad had been coach and he had gone a whole series, you know what I mean? And it lasted yeah. the whole time. And then he, the show ends, there's no Woody, there's no place for him to come in. So it's like, does his career launch? Because he was, Woody Harrelson was phenomenal on cheers. He was real yeah. good. And, and it was a huge, huge show at the time. So when he came on, yeah, it was already yeah, massive. Yeah. It really does make you scratch your head it's like would i mean does cream rise to the top i mean he was a talented guy anyway and he also was in the local scene he had the buzz you know like before he was on cheers the reason he got he filled that slot so quickly is because he was the go-to guy like everybody this guy's about to break he was doing plays around town he was hanging out in all the right scenes and all that kind of stuff i'm not sure what kind of acting he had been doing but he was hot you know yeah Uh, so would he have eventually ended up in something i don't know yeah uh, it's one of those things definitely was it yeah i mean it's really hard to say yeah i just find it very interesting and it's just something that i I find myself thinking about on a well the other thing is yeah would yeah it's like the butterfly effect thing you know it's like if a butterfly flaps its wings and ten thousand miles away there's a tornado you know it's like yeah um but would would that actor I can't remember his name, Nick something, who um, who played the coach, which was the part that my dad was up for. W- would would he have survived because maybe he was overworked? Yeah, um, that and and would your dad still be alive today? Because yeah, maybe my, getting my a dad, show like Cheers. My dad did from from about eighty to ninety. He did pretty much all the TV shows, you know, uh, guest starring roles. And 1980 to 1990, not age yeah, 80 yeah. to 90. Yeah. Okay. 80 to, no, not 80 <laughs> to 90 years old. 80 to 90 years old. He didn't do a lot of, a lot of anything. Um, but anyway, yeah, he, uh, he talked about how doing one of those network sitcoms in front of a live audience 
was stressful. really stressful work. You know, I, 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 I'm sure nobody wants to say it was hard work when there's people out there working on oil rigs and stuff like that, you yeah. know, losing, <laughs> laying, you yeah, know. laying bricks, losing fingers. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. you had to do a sitcom. That was a lot of work. Was it? Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> but you rough. have to, you have to get up in front of, uh, middle America, you know, in person and knowing that you're being broadcast on TV and knowing that it, like back then on the network, it was, that was all there was. Everyone watched it. Was. It wasn't like now, now doing a TV show, it's like, okay, 5,000 people are going to see me on this, whatever, <laughs> you know, but it's like, this was it, you, the next day, everybody would see you in the street and go, Oh, that's the guy who was on this thing. Yeah. But, um, so, but they would also throw lines at you at the last minute, you know, like, oh, by the way, they changed this whole section and you've got to go out there. And if, and if you're uh, like my dad took what he did really seriously in that he wanted to make sure that he didn't go out there and he, he didn't want to be the reason that everybody has, okay, cut, we're going to take yep. it again. Uh, uh, Bill, do you want some, some coffee or some water? Anything? Yeah. You feeling okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, God. Like, so he would take a lot of that stress on. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have a cat here, and uh, I hope so. <laughs> he gets pissed off. I'm trying to put him on a cleanse thing where oh. he's not <laughs> eating, and he gets really upset. But uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me just put, <laughs> I'm just gonna lock him in a room, really. Well, you don't lock him in a room. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I would expect in an interview with Henry. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> For the animal lovers out there, I'm just joking. He's not on an actual cleanse. Actually, I feed him like eight times a day and he, <laughs> he's spoiled. Um, but anyway, so we were talking. <laughs> but yeah, but but it's interesting. You come from a, a showbiz family, but you weren't. You weren't like at a young age and were like, I'm going to be a comedian. You were, you found that rock and roll and music kind of was your thing at the time. And then, I don't, I don't mean to say rock and roll, but I assume you liked all those bands. If you're playing the guitar, you know, early 80s, mid 80s to 90s, you are probably getting into rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, for sure. So the, the, the comedy, the music kind of starts to turn a little bit, to get funny, to get silly or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. What, what was the first song? Like, cause you said it kind of crept in. So you were trying to write like a serious song and then maybe like, uh, oh, hey, that's kind of like you, you rhyme something with something else and you're like, oh, that's actually funny, not serious. Oh yeah. And then well, it just grew from there. Did people immediately go, hey, that's the thing, do that or. Yeah. Let's see. Uh. The very first one um, was when, uh, well, hell, I've got my guitar back here. You want to hear? Sure. Uh, You'll be the first um, guest to play music on the show. Let's see. There was one song that I used to do that uh, they would all start as songs that were that were for real, you know. Right. And, and then because those, those sounded the funniest because they sounded like they were meant to be real songs. Uh, well, let's see. Um, oh yeah, this this was one here. I'm, I'm trying to remember what... Everyone who knows me knows I know you and everyone who knows you knows me too. 
And everyone who knows I know you knows I wouldn't lay a hand on you. And everyone who sees me sees me seeing you. And everyone who sees you sees that too. It was something like that where it's just like, all right, this, this is ridiculous. Um, but it does. It starts out like, ooh, this is meaningful. And you're like, wait, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. It's just running me in a circle. What the hell's going name? on? Yeah. But then the one that uh, that really started me doing comedy was when my buddy was going through a breakup and I was over there trying to cheer him up. And uh, he had a newspaper out. It was like the Wall Street Journal or something like that. And I was just kind of riffing. I was like, man, we got to write a song about your breakup. And I was like, I know it's getting late at night. I know you haven't showered in a week and I know that you don't feel like doing anything and I know that right now unemployment rates are high and I know that we're generating higher trade deficits and I know that and I look at the newspaper General Motors just shed 14% of its automotive components operations to accelerate the overhaul of unprofitable North American expenditures resulting in a loss of nearly 14,000 American jobs <laughs> what do you want me to do about it <laughs> like that and then uh yeah i just uh i just started saying like these really long phrases and then saying what do you want me to do about it after <laughs> and then my buddy who was actually a drummer and at the time he was going around all these uh, little theaters in la to get like 50 dollars a night to play um in bands that were accompanying like groundlings and these uh kind of comedy theaters and he said man you got to come out to some of these places that i go and just do that song and just pretend to be doing it as a serious song, like at an open mic night or something like that. And then uh, I think it would blow people away. And so I was like, all right. And so I started doing it. I went to like the Highland Grounds and uh, who were some of the other ones? The Cinegrill up there at the Roosevelt Hotel, um, Molly Malone's. I remember Molly Malone's uh, and yeah. this, yeah. And it was a place called the Upfront Comedy Club out in Santa Monica that was a big stop for a lot of um, you, uh, what do you call it? Second city alumni. Okay. And, uh, that was when I met like all the comedians in the world. That, that was in like 94, maybe not all the standups, but all the improv, mostly from Chicago guys. And, yeah. Yeah. And that was really, uh, that sort of like was a foundation for the network that I kind of had from that point on. Did um, you, did you click with those people that kind of like yeah, that mentality? Yeah, almost a little better because I wasn't in anybody's face trying to take up their stage time or trying to do something similar to what they were doing. They would do music every now and then, you know, um, but generally I was a guy who went on there as a break from all the improv stuff and, and the sketch stuff. And I would be like the musical guest a little bit like when SNL has their musical guest, except for I was doing comedy. Right. But um, there was never, like I'll, I'll bet you anything on the, on SNL, the, the musical guest probably gets along the best <laughs> with everybody than everybody. Oh yeah. Everybody else is probably stressed and yelling at each other and uh, everything. But I would just sort of go on, do my thing and then walk off and then go have a smoke with everybody or a drink afterward. And uh, everybody'd be kind of like, Oh yeah, this guy's cool. Like I, I wouldn't get in anybody's, way they know? they didn't see you as any kind of threat yeah, they, yeah pretty if, much if anything you kind of uplifted what they did yeah and and you kept the audience 
engaged and like comedic. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like laughing. Conflicts, interpersonal fights backstage with everybody. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't really a part of that. I would just go on and do my thing. But um, man, but those That's were really, a, really good times, you know. I bet, man. And what was the first time you were like? I'm going to perform as myself and not be in a, this, you know, I'm not going to do an improv show. I'm going to do a set as. Well, yeah, that was, uh, it, it was sort of the inevitable thing to do. Like in stand up, it's a little different. Like you, you work your way up, you, you get a, a five minute guest spot and then 15 minutes to MC and then 30 minutes. And then after years you're headlining, but, um, if you wanted to do your own show in LA as a musician, you had to start with a 45 or 50 minute slot. There, there, was, there really wasn't any other way to do it. So I had to get 50 minutes worth of songs. So I had 50 minutes within the first year of, of doing my performing. Yeah. Except for it was pretty bad. It, <laughs> it, it hadn't been, uh, chiseled the, the way that it gets when you've been performing for years and years you know because well, you were you were writing them and taking them to the stage that there was no time to fix anything there's no time yeah. to get into it deeper you were just trying to amass a, a collection of songs that could fill that time so you could do a show yeah yeah and they were they were for the most part good templates for songs but they hadn't really been edited by I, i'm a firm believer that everything gets edited by audiences you know like that's screenings of films and then you go ooh, that one didn't work let's get rid of that one you know and uh so these songs hadn't gotten through that process yet so the, the act itself was kind of hit and miss by the time i started going out on the road and stuff because i was performing for a pretty generous crowd that was into music and they were mostly my friends and stuff like that um, right but uh yeah so then i would get friends um uh, bringing me out on the road. Uh, to who, 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 yeah, who did well, you? Uh, Drew Hastings was one of them, um, and uh, also Doug Stanhope. So Stanhope uh, was one of the first people to take you out on the road because the first time yeah. I heard you was on um, something to take the edge off, yeah. the Stanhope album. Yeah, and you're playing was, guitar through the whole thing. Yeah, that and was, it was awesome. the first week that I worked with him down in Houston. Yeah, really? In 99. Well, Dude. we had done that bit before. Uh, where I was playing guitar to sort of accompany his his stand-up. And it was called Something to Take the Edge Off because it really was an edgy uh, CD. I mean, he was doing uh, some really dark stuff. I mean, he's kind of... Like the, the light music and, and filling up all the gaps, which is sort of make it a little bit more palatable, you know? And so, um, so we would do that around town a lot. And then in uh, 99, he asked if I could go to Houston and I would open for him. And I was like, wow, I'd go to a comedy club and get paid to do this. You know, I mean, this was amazing. Like, even though it wasn't a lot of money. No, but that's not the point. Been, yeah, it might have been like $500 and the flight. And Doug was probably paying for the flight. I was going to say, but, the club didn't pay like, for that. <laughs> yeah, in 99, $500 doing comedy i mean it would have taken me about two months to make that doing doing what i was doing you know i mean i yeah. had jobs and stuff at that time and uh but it was it was pretty great and so i went over there and i was in front of, it was like 300 
actual paying comedy club goers and they were laughing at my act throughout the whole thing. And I, and I, and I was starting to do that chiseling down process. I was like, yeah, Ooh, that song did not work. That one's gone. Uh, this one I'll do about half of it and then I'll get out, you know, I'm going to add some funnier jokes to this one, you know? And so that, that already started happening. And, uh, so it was a great week. And then, um, uh, we weren't really doing the thing where I was playing guitar uh, with him act and he was trying to record the whole week. And then the last uh, night, Sunday, he said, hey, do you want to do the thing where you play the guitar? And I was like, sure. And it was about half the audience that normally was there every other show. And um, but it was great. And after but that's the oh, that's so the about it. yeah, the that's the hour he made of, of the album. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sunday night in front of, I don't know, maybe 120 people in a 300 seat place. <laughs> And uh, there's not one edit in the whole thing. It's literally just beginning to end exactly how the show was. Dude. I mean, yeah, I mean, Doug was incredibly ahead of his time for that, you know, because he he uh, was was doing everything sort of the way that eventually became the cool way to do it. You know, it's like, I'm not going to edit stuff. I'm not going to try to get it, uh, you know, super hot audience and all that stuff. He's like, you know, what you're hearing is what it's like to be out at a comedy club. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty great instincts, you know? It, it, well, first of all, Doug is, I mean, he's one of my favorite comedians. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. there's like a, a small group of people and he's like at the top of that list. When I, I, I love watching him. I think he's, a fantastic writer and I think he works really hard at it despite the act he puts up that is that he does not work hard at it you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, but that is true I've coming coming out of the pandemic this uh, doing shows I did a show um, a couple nights ago that was at a bar it was uh, at a bar that and this is no this isn't in, I'm not trying to be insulting to the guy who booked me or anything but like it was a room if I would have like two years ago I would have walked in looked around and gone uh-uh and then walked out like I'm like there's not there's no people here this is awful this is a terrible setup like I don't want anything to do with this I'm done with that attitude um, my new attitude is I don't give a shit how many people are here if if one half of a person came out here to see comedy they're gonna get some fucking comedy like yeah, yeah. I'm done caring about being a draw or trying to put asses in seats or, and th and this, again, I'm not trying to get club owners to be like, well, goodbye, you know, but, <laughs> um, but I, I just, it doesn't, I used to like really take that shit to heart. Like, oh, I'm doing this show and nobody's here, <sighs> you know, and be like, I guess I'm not good. Like just a shitty attitude. And, and that ref one, it shows when you're doing stand up, people are like, okay, this guy's not pumped for the room, you know, uh, but yeah. two, it's like, that's not, I didn't, I didn't get into comedy to for sold out nights. You know what I mean? I got into comedy because I like making people laugh, and that, like you said, when you first get a laugh, when you get people to laugh at you, it's a really good. It's a it's a high. You know, it feels good. You want to keep doing it. So it again, it, it's two people that are laughing. If it's a thousand people that are laughing, I'm gonna be okay. You know? Yeah. Um, when? Yeah, I agree. When did you start? Because obviously that led to like. I honestly, I heard that album in early 2000 and I was like, who the fuck is Henry Phillips? Like, I thought you were a musician. I thought you were in the opening band. I didn't know. And then I kind of looked into it and I'm like, oh my God. And then I, 
I've, I've, I heard, I must have heard you on Bob and Tom or something. Like, I heard you on the radio, and I was like, this is the guy from the, this is the guy from Stanhope's album. And then it was like literally from that, I, <clears throat> and then I, you know, just being in L.A., I ran into you eventually, you know what I mean? And we started talking. But yeah. at what point were you, because from that, I mean, you recorded your own albums, you started going on the road more, and you became a, a comedian. You were a full-blown comic, you know what I mean? Yes, you played the guitar, but you were not doing anything that was serious songwriting. I mean, yeah, yeah it was serious songwriting in the sense that most yeah, people I mean, can't write playing. songs. At places called the Looney Bin, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, there was <laughs> exactly. music at that point. Uh, what was there any? Um, was there any time when you were like, well, I think now I'm going to try acting, or let's take this up a notch, or was that just sort of offered to you? Well, it goes back to that storytelling thing that you were talking about because um, when I was in college, uh, before any of this, um, my friend uh, Greg Vienz was. Uh, doing um he was good to go to film school like we were political science majors and then i wound up becoming a comedian and he wound up becoming a film school major and then eventually a filmmaker you know because he had to do a, like a final project and i used to tell him all these stories about things that would happen when i was out uh mostly around la i'd be like you know yeah this this club owner asshole uh told me he was going to give me four dollars for every person and we had like 48 people there and he gave me $14 and I was like, that's not even divisible by four. Like that doesn't <laughs> make sense. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, if you gave me $12, I'd be like, all right, well, obviously you're screwing me, but at least it would make some kind of, at least the math is, is there. So yeah, stuff like that. Like we, we had a lot of these where I had this manager who was always trying to come up with a label for me. And she, uh, she said, he's a little bit like, uh, she or she she pitched it to me. She was like, "You're sort of like James Taylor on Smack," and I was like, <laughs> I, "I'm pretty sure James Taylor actually was on." <laughs> he had a heroin problem. Yeah, that's not saying anything. It's just to say James Taylor. Um, so there were all these things, and he was like, "Man, we got to make a movie about this," you know. And so we made um, a prototype movie called uh, "Punching the Clown." Before we made. We eventually made an indie movie in 2008. Okay, so this was, uh, this was the first. The 90s. Yeah, so there's like an hour long. Yeah, it's 35 millimeter. Whoa! Yeah, there's there's at least one scene on YouTube somewhere that I put up there. Oh, dude, and you have you have that? Yeah, yeah. Do you, you don't have it on 35 millimeter, do you? Uh, no. Yeah, and by the way, it's not 35 millimeter. It was. Uh, I think it was 45 millimeter 16, um, but it was old, old school film, you know, and um, yeah, it's a 60 minute film and most of it is unwatchable, but there's probably about 15 minutes in there. That's pretty good stuff. But one and, thing that's really cool is there's a lot of great footage of LA, you know, Oh, back in the, uh, yeah. Back in the nineties. Yeah. It was pretty funny. We shot at the four seasons because Greg knew somebody who knew somebody who owned the Four Seasons, and and no movie was ever allowed to to shoot at the Four Seasons. They just didn't need the money. They just didn't want people filming there, but they let Greg do it, and we shot a whole dinner scene there. And then we looked at it when we were uh, editing, and where we you know when we we're just watching a cut, and and it wasn't until like way too late that I was like, you know, there's really nothing in here that 
that uh, you know, we both kind of noticed that there's nothing in there that that showed that it was the Four Seasons. It was basically just a blank wall behind us. It was, a, like, it was a tight dining shot. Anywhere. Yeah, but that was like that was like a big lesson in filmmaking. It's like establishing you know, shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Show was, where you are before yeah, you get into it. We could have done that one at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just done a stock photo of the Four Seasons and then. Yeah. Here, let me let me check on the cat. I'm gonna give yeah. him some actual food right now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what is that pillow? No, he he's okay. This, this is going to be an ongoing thing. He's uh, he was too quiet, so it was making me like because he's an old guy too. So I'm like, wait, is he all right? Like, so I'm not happy if he's quiet. I'm not happy if he's meowing too much. <laughs> like, I I don't like either scenario. So. Um, <laughs> But I went in there and he was totally chilling out. So, oh, all right. Well, that's good. He's not dead. Like he was annoyed that I disturbed him. So, um, but he'll be good. I just felt bad for taking him out of his uh, <clears throat> his domain. He's really the guy who rules this uh, this little apartment of ours. As cats do, man. Look, they take yeah. over. <laughs> well, uh, anyway. So, um, yeah. So yeah, we made that movie, but they were all stories. That's all it was, and uh, those stories never stopped. They never stopped coming, and. We tried various iterations of it. We we made a, a traditional uh, development deal with Granada Films out of England and tried to raise money for it. Did pitch meetings to like foreign um, distributors and everything for pre-sales and um, went to England. And then just more stories just started racking up. But, uh, nothing happened there. And then finally in like 2006, Greg uh, showed up to my place one time after we had just given up completely and he he became a film professor at ucla and he just uh i remember he came to the door and he goes you know fuck it we're just gonna make this we're we're gonna make it i'll i'll borrow money from family i'll take out credit cards um i'm just gonna use every bit of money that i have i mean he basically took his life savings you know and Put it into just he's like i have students that are making their own movies with digital cameras and i'm not i didn't ever dream of just being a teacher i wanted to be a filmmaker you know so i don't care let's write the script and let's make the script you know and then i actually my cousins kicked in some money also to to donate you know to the whole thing it was sort of like kickstarter before kickstarter well and and also it's it to first of all, I didn't realize Greg's film project was the sort of you know uh, beginning stages of punching the clown. I think that's yeah. fantastic, and yeah, when he was teaching his students, like like you said, you shot that first thing on film. Yeah. Film is a billion dollars. It's super expensive. It's tedious to work with. It's hard. You could overexpose oh, yeah. it. it there, there's so many things that can go wrong from the time it's put onto the film to the time it's you know put onto anything you can watch it on. So he sees his students making money, or not making money, making films with, you know, smaller cameras, digital, yeah. you know, we have to load up cards and drives and not film canisters and, you know, and there's multiple takes and it doesn't matter and you can, you're not wasting money by doing it that way. So he probably just as a, as kind of the way things <clears throat> technologically progressed was like, I'm teaching these kids to just go out and do it. I'm just going to go out and do it because, yeah. which also speaks to how much he really did believe in it from the beginning. 
which yeah, I think absolutely. is awesome. Oh yeah, no, yeah, he put his money where his mouth was. He was just like, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, he probably has family members that'll never talk to him again. <laughs> but uh, hey, is there a is there a way I can share a clip on here right now? Because I have it right on my computer. Uh, I think if you play it on your computer, it will will be able to record it. Yeah. Okay. So do you guys see that? Yeah. Okay. So that's Greg on the left, and that's me with the ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> what the okay, you're going to change his water once a day. That's not the problem. You're going to clean out the bottom of the cage twice a day. No, it's not going to be an issue. This guy's a Siamese rabbit. You see, he's got the same sort of markings as a Siamese cat. No problem. So uh, how, much, uh, how much is it now? $39.95. Just one rabbit. Yes. Are you you're kidding to me? <laughs> He's not, no, no. Uh, uh, ten bucks for the rabbit. Ten bucks, I give you a parakeet. Oh, that is disgusting. It's for a kid, by the way. A kid. <laughs> it's for a woman. Okay. Bon appetit. Oh, it smells good. What is it? This is called lapin à la mitard. Oh, it sounds French. So sexy. God, did I just say that? Actually, it is French, but please help me make it. <laughs> I'm very open-minded. As long as it's not a cat or a rabbit or snails or pig's feet or oyster or veal or wing. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because it really is rabbit. Oh, Harry, you're such a comedian. You know, we do have the same sense of humor. I'm not joking, really. I'm serious, it's rabbit. Oh, Harry, you're so bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that's kind of based on a little bit of a true story. So, yeah, that's um, the true story there being uh, that I, I had this, there was a guy that I was giving uh guitar lessons too wait, wait is there a way to set it back the way that we had it or yeah can you okay awesome yeah so um yeah so that was been pretty much it so so that was an example of so i had this uh friend of mine who was uh i was giving english lessons to who was a french uh speaking person that's not greg but greg was playing that in the thing and um he suggested uh because I had a date and he, he suggested, you know, why don't we get rabbit and you can make, I can make you a wonderful rabbit dish and you can impress her with that. And I was like, I don't think you can get rabbit just like at the supermarkets and stuff. Oh no, no, no. You go to the pet shop. They've got them all over the place. I'm like, you're going to go to a pet shop to get a rabbit, you know? And so we were trying to just sort of play out that scene, but um, yeah, no, we had, a well, that's fantastic. Um, so he comes to you. You had forgotten. You had given up. You weren't like, you weren't like, man, we still got something here. You were like, eh, I'm done. And then he comes and says, why don't we just make it ourselves? Because, I mean, I know the idea at first is we get money, then we make it. We all get paid. Everybody's happy. Um, he, and he wanted to make it. So you guys made Punching the Clown. I mean, that's an, uh, a, a, I think the best way to describe it would be a low-budget, independent movie, you know, um, privately financed or whatever, however you want to say it. But yeah. But it's funny, like it, it's, it's obviously it's better quality than what you just showed, meaning the audio is better. Yeah, than, yeah, you know, oh yeah, for sure. All that stuff picked up because I, I'm assuming as Greg made films and made shorts and made other things, he, you know, you learn your lessons, you learn from mistakes and you move forward. What was, like, were you at all 
surprised at how good Punching the Clown was? Yeah, well, when, I mean, we just knew we were on to something. You did, well, okay. We were making the first one, the one in uh, 2008. Yeah. Because we had been uh, dreaming of filming these stories for at least 15 years at that point, like ever since they started accruing back in like 97 or something like that. And um, it just, everything about it felt funny. You know, it's like we had Eddie Pepitone playing the manager and then we had um, a girl named uh, Beth Kennedy who was playing the girl who booked me for a show and then wound up getting fired for booking me. Like these were all real stories. And just to watch them being played out with really good actors, I was just like, this is incredible. So, and then uh, one thing that I've been told, which seems to hold true is, uh, your movie is never as good as the dailies, but never as bad as the first cut. Oh, <laughs> so, so the, you know, on the day of, of course, we thought we were making pure magic and it's like, wow, this is so much easier than I thought. And then, um, but then after we, we had a first cut that was two hours long and we showed it in front of like a hundred friends. We got a theater, uh, the Toluca Lake, uh, the Falcon theater over there and we screened it and um, it was a very forgiving audience. A lot of the cast was in there and a lot of friends and family. And even with all of those things in our favor, it wasn't a hit. It, it was not a huge hit, you know? And it was like depressing. It was just like, oh my God. Uh, you know, one good friend of mine even walked out halfway through and didn't didn't even give him a good reason, but I was like, wow. Uh, Wait, what? You have a friend who came to a screening of your yeah, movie yeah. and just got up and left. Yeah, and I maybe there was a re good reason. I don't know, but I was like, wow, this is terrible. But um, so what happened was that we had um, there at, at that screening was one of Greg's good friends who's a, a pro editor. She's done a bunch of stuff for HBO and she edited the movie Ghost World. Oh. Um, and uh, she uh, is a genius. And um, after Greg had done amazing editing himself, we went through a whole other pass with this person as a third party. She was between projects. She was at home uh, watching her daughter over the summer, whatever school was out. And she just happened to have like 10 full eight hour days to donate to just all of us just sitting there and analyzing every frame. And to me that, that always will be one of my most memorable uh, learning experiences because that's where you made uh, the movie. Yeah. Because Greg uh, and myself and Carol were all there and, and we had all, we were all coming from totally different places. So there was like, uh, a tug of war happening in different places. Like um, every now and then somebody would fight for something, you know, um, I, I would be like, they'd, they'd be like, well, I, this, this bit with the, the business card isn't really working. Cause I thought, I always thought it was funny to, if somebody gives you a business card to look at it and be like, that's awesome. And then cool, you hand it back. <laughs> so, uh, so we did that. In the <laughs> oh man, that's really cool. There you go. <laughs> if everybody laughed at it as hard as you just did, but, uh, for whatever reason, it, it just, you know, because sometimes stuff doesn't really translate, but it wasn't really working on the oh. screen. But I was like, no, 
it's staying in there. I don't care if only 5% of the people that watch it get it. That one's got to be there. And, and my justification, I was like, I've watched Spinal Tap a million times and there's jokes in there that go over most of the people's heads, but they're still in there. And that's why it's a movie that people will watch forever. You know? And, you, and that's, that's the thing is like, if you put something like that in there, it's something that if someone doesn't catch the first time, it's, it's yeah. a, like Spinal Tap, I've probably watched, I would say in my life, maybe a hundred, hundred times, you know, yeah. like I've seen that movie over and over and over again. It's genius. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so well done. But every time I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about this or, oh my God, I just saw that. Or, and it's, yeah. and that's true. That's, that's true of Punching the Clown too. You can, that's a movie you watch once like, man, that was really good. And you watch again, like, holy shit. It like gets better with every viewing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. I mean, well, I, I said, yeah, like, but like, I, yeah, it does, I, you moron. I mean, I, I think it's really good, you know. I mean, I and I'm not taking all the credit for it. I'm just, I mean, obviously, what we're watching is mostly Greg's cut and right. Greg's vision and all that other kind of stuff. Now, Carol also came in with some just classic editing uh, knowledge, you know, like um, the van pulling up to um show up to the little parking lot where the payphone is where Derek waters is going to make a phone call you know we would have it last in, in the original was like six seconds and uh carol would be like okay i think we get that the van is showing up there you can cut it now you know it's like there's not really a hard fast rule for that she uh, just had an eye just, yeah experience you know there's experience of of, of knowing when when you can cut things and and pacing like you know um well you know from doing stand-up you know it's like you've got your setup and then the punchline you can't make that setup last too long because people will start getting bored but you also have to have enough information there that people are gonna understand what the joke is once it comes around you know so it's really kind of tricky how fast and then of course if it's a late night show and everybody's drunk then you got to make it a little quicker and try it's like, Oh boy, I'm losing them. I better get. To it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, there was a lot of that kind of process going on, but another one that was like my favorite was, uh, we had an entire subplot with, uh, a girl played by my really talented friend, Susie Rose, who, uh, who was sleeping with the journalist who winds up spreading this rumor about me or whatever. And uh, it was like this whole scene where they woke up in the morning and uh, he was trying to get information from her and they were sleeping together. And it, it was a really good scene with great acting. And um, so while we're watching it, uh, Carol, the editor, was looking at it and she goes, so this is interesting. We've got uh, and she has a really thick French accent, but I can't even bother doing it. But just imagine it. But she's just like this woman is beautiful. The camera loves her. Uh, she's like a movie star and her acting is superb. And I really believe that she believes the things that she's saying in this scene. And it's a very high quality scene and the camera looks great and it's nice. But who the fuck is she? And why is and she- Why are we watching this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You learn if it doesn't drive the story, if it doesn't yeah. drive the movie forward, you can get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. We thought, well, we should show everything, show what's happening behind the scenes in this situation and, uh, and, and try to make it an engaging thing. And she's like, the audience wants to go with you now on your journey, especially halfway through the movie. They're ready to, to, to follow the story. 
they don't want to go into some other place and start watching all different characters that they've never even and it was really fascinating but there were all these things so what we ended up with at the end of those those two weeks of uh frame fucking if you will <laughs> yeah I, I like that uh, term so yeah 10 10 days 10 eight hour days of staring at it and going back and fighting over certain things everything we ended up with a 90 minute movie now much better uh and in in my opinion i think it's just about perfect i mean tight I've watched, I've watched it in screenings from new york to like um you know all over the you know the world i mean we've done it it's screened in paris and in england and canada and all these places that's wow. not all over, but uh all over the western uh couple of countries but uh and all over the states, but I gotta say, it, I'm really, really happy with the audience reaction every single time it screens, and um, yeah, there's there's a lot that went right in that, and especially knowing how it is when it doesn't work, like I did on that first two hour version of it, like it, uh, yeah, it really is just, yeah, I, I don't think I would change anything. You know? Yeah, yeah, but but does it? That's a that's a good lesson to learn. It's like when you first start writing a screenplay, you know, oh, cool, I got two hundred pages. Like, okay, well, yeah. that's about a hundred and fifty too many, and yeah, uh, you need yeah. to fix that. Like, it's yeah, like, totally. um, it, it's just, but then you also the more you watch a mo watch movies or watch you know kind of read scripts or watch TV, you sort of get the. You know, you, it's a, there's a little bit of a formula to it. Like at a certain point, you have to be here in the story. At a certain point, you have to be here, and then you have to move forward here. And for that, yeah. And Carol, like, knows that stuff by the back of her hand. You know, like I'm completely, like, you know, rules are meant to be broken, but there's also a lot of rules that you want to keep because they work. You know, it's yeah. Like, there's a reason they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, and and we found out a lot of the rules by accident. We're just sort of like it's not like we were trying to do it, but then at the end when we're looking at it, you go, "Oh wow, there really is a save the cat moment in the beginning, and then there's an arc, and then there's this, you know." And um, we really kind of did all those things, but not really trying. Now the other thing about it is that when we had the script, we went through a lot of um, people's critique of it, and. Uh, People, who people, what people? Uh, we meet with a, a potential producer, uh, you know, or with a couple of uh, people that we were pitching to maybe for financing or something like that. And they would just be like, you know, a lot of these jokes are hack, you know, a lot of them uh, are, uh, you know, dated and uh, a lot of stuff kind of didn't really work. And, and you know, it's not really, it doesn't really know what kind of movie it wants to be it's not really a must do and nowadays you just have to have a must do if you're going to make a movie and everything we 100 percent proudly greg and i completely ignored that what we said was okay well he doesn't know this person saying this doesn't know how it's going to be delivered like you know um a joke can look hacky if it's written on the page because you're you're not doing it with the understatement or you're not like, you know, oh, guy slips on a banana peel. You'd be like, oh, I've seen that before. But <laughs> it can be done in a way that's super fucking funny, you know? It just depends on how you do it. And so Greg and I were never deterred by people. And, and there were very few people that read the script. We had readings where everybody was laughing and that went better. Yeah. But when we gave the script to somebody for them to read, it was a waste of time because they just insulted it, you know? Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> I 
<coughs> excuse me pardon me um there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot there like i i wrote a movie with a certain um like voice in mind like i was writing it the first the main character was like will ferrell right so everything that he does in the script is very Will Ferrelly, and like yeah. you would think, like okay, if you if Will Ferrell like there are Saturday Night Live scripts like for sketches that if you read on paper you'd be like, do not put this on TV, this is terrible. And then Will Ferrell walks in in a half shirt with bikini briefs on, and he loves America, and he's doing this whole thing, and it becomes the funniest fucking thing you've ever seen. There's 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 like if if someone wrote your jokes on paper. And then read them. They'd be like, "Ooh, this is this guy's a comedian." Yeah. Ugh. But then if they see you do it, like you said, with the understatement, with the, with the facial expressions, with the you know, the the attitude towards the story, then that's what makes it. That's the oh, thing. Totally. Like yeah. if reading stories made people famous, we'd all just read stories. You know. Yeah, I mean. Totally. Yeah, it's all the yeah. Take my wife, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe but then you, the, it, it boggles my mind that people in the business can't understand that. Like, hey, this script doesn't read that funny. Let's meet the person who wrote it or meet the people that it's written for yeah. and have them read it to us. Like, if they haven't come to that conclusion yet, I don't even, why are they even in the, the business? Yeah. Like, well, I think that's why readings are a really important part of the process. You know? Yes. The more, more, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think I thought about them as super important before. I tried writing things on my own. And then I was like, dude, yeah. you need people to read this so that you can go, no, 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 it's like this. Yeah, and that's your first <laughs> audience, you know, um, the, is the people reading it, you know. Uh, you can really get a, a feel for whether or not it's flowing during that part. Yeah. What? So, um, obviously, <clears throat> I'm sure you had big, big plans for the movie or big, like, dreams. And it just sort of stayed and it's kind of independent. Um, yeah. it, it, over, over time it became a, you know, I'd call it a cult classic because if you say punching the clown and someone knows what you're talking about, they don't, they don't know it like, Oh yeah, no, I know about that movie. They've seen it and they love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's one of those things. There's no like spinal tap, you know, people are like, ah, if someone's like, oh, yeah, I, I think I saw Spinal Tap, it was okay. Then they didn't really watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they didn't care and they weren't going to be fans of it anyway. But the people that have seen it that love it, love it. You yeah. know, it, it, and I think that That's pretty much what happened. And um, so, okay, when when 2009 uh, Sundance came around, we, we didn't get accepted into Sundance. We got accepted into Slamdance, which is sort of the indie kind of punk rock. Well, rock. Sundance didn't want comedies at the time, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. there was yeah, no way yeah. like your movie about being a comedian that was funny was like something they wanted to look at. Yeah, and there it was, was it was all celebrity and the whole thing. Yeah. No offense Fairbanks, but um uh, uh, <laughs> I was like so many of my No <laughs> offense Fairbanks, Keen. Yeah. Uh Keen uh Glazer uh Oh yeah, it? she's in the first one, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Pepitone. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying that there wasn't at the time a celebrity. Right. That Sundance is going to be like, you know, it wasn't like, uh, like Sundance is like even if it's like the brother of uh, Steve Buscemi or something, they'll 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 listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's just like I'm a complete outsider, unknown, whatever, and. Uh, but Slam Dance is big. 
slam dance was huge. And, but what we were victims of is the, in the end of 2008, of course, the entire economy crashed. And so here we come in February um, to slam dance. And it was like, there was half the people that there that normally were there. And all anybody was talking about is how nobody was getting any deals and all that stuff. And it was, sort Fun. Of a, it was sort of a, what's that word I'm looking for? Like a melancholy or like a subdued. Uh, no, I'm looking for that, uh, that term that means like a uh, bittersweet. Yeah. It was like, people were like, Hey, congratulations, man. This movie's amazing. If it was a year ago, you would have made a million dollars off of it, but that's just not happening anymore. And I'm not sure if it ever will. So we were like really disappointed, but we were enjoying the festival run. Anyway, we got, a, we did, um, yeah, Vancouver, Baltimore, New York was fantastic. We did the uh, Gen Art Festival in New York. There were celebrities in the audience. And then we got a run. Uh, well, okay, to, to back up a little bit, um, the, the movie was by all means a success with audiences. And then nothing really happened. We never got a distribution deal or whatever. And, um, but then Greg got a spam email that just said, uh, you know, don't let your film die, you know, show it at the quad cinemas in New York and we'll pay for a publicist and, and we'll give you a whole package, but you basically pay. It's like pay to play. Um, yeah. and we had, all, we had run out of options completely. Everybody, uh, it was sort of everybody agreed that this was an amazing movie, but it was just done. But this was an opportunity that they guaranteed that the major newspapers would come out and do reviews of it and a bunch of other stuff. So Greg took out like another credit card for like $5,000 or whatever it was and just said, yeah, let's, let's do this. And um, I would have never done it. Uh, but Greg is a guy that just sort of like doesn't say no to stuff. And uh, he's, he's in a lot of debt. No, I'm just kidding. Like, and I always joke about how every time I do an interview about it, I'm like, you know, I don't really care if Greg gets his money back or not. <laughs> it's all about the art, you know? And, uh, but, uh, but no, I mean, it, there, there is uh, just such a determination that he has. That it's just like not taking no for an answer. And this was, this was one of those things that I would have thought was just completely a scam. And, uh, but, but that was our last effort and it wound up being great. Uh, we did like a two week run at this little indie art theater in at the quad cinemas in New York. And they came through, they, they brought, yeah, we had the New York times and all these other people come down and see it. And they did reviews. And then it was like an official theatrical release for the movie all of a sudden. And man, the well, that's awesome. Yeah. The, the, the comedians, Sarah Silverman did a tweet about it and it got like 10,000 retweets or something like that. And, uh, and before you knew it, the entire comedy scene in New York was going to the theater to watch the movie because it was about comedy, you know? Yeah. And it was about, it's not just, it's not about comedy like how, like uh, Jojo Dancer or, um, you know, where are, they're already successful or, you know, it, it's literally about a, a section of comedy that is is not known by a lay person or someone not in, like, even people in the entertainment industry don't understand 
brushing your teeth in a lake or, you know, washing your armpits in a bathroom sink or, you know, uh, same shirt over and over because you fucking forgot one or, you know. Staying at your your brother's place or whatever. Yeah, yeah, crashing on couches and just kind of doing what you can to survive so that you can go on stage and tell people that might not even give a shit about you some jokes. Yeah. So there... The word of mouth from the comedians that showed up was just uh, unbelievable. I mean, uh, Joe List, I think, has shown it to like 150 of his friends or something like that. Like Dude, I mean, stuff. I guess I should probably just start screening it for people because I always recommend it and I tell them they should get it and they should watch it. And then, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, OK. And then you never know <laughs> what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, um, Dan Natterman had a podcast at the time and he uh, let me come on. Like, you know, I got a call that week when it was showing and I was in New York and, uh, and I'm a huge Dan Natterman fan anyway, but it was just like, he had just seen the movie and he loved it. And so we sat and chatted about it. And, uh, but like comics really came out of the woodwork and gave this, uh, great word of mouth campaign all over the place. And, uh, and then eventually, uh, distributor did pick it up and then we got it on netflix this was back when they were still doing the dvds on netflix ah you could get them in the mail yeah and then and then it started streaming and then we got on that one too and that really blew up and our movie was right there you know people were running out of stuff to watch and, it, and so they started asking their friends well what what other stuff is there it's like oh this movie punching the clown was pretty good and so i remember like being a I, w- I was in San Francisco and I was going to, to the punchline and uh, there was like this guy walking across the street. It was like a businessman with a briefcase and, you know, suit and everything like that. Just not the kind of guy that I would normally be hanging out with. But uh, he saw me and he's like, Hey, did I see you. You have a movie or something. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was good. And then he just obviously not going to the show that I'm about to perform. At. Right. He just uh, recognized yeah. you from the movie. Recognized me on the street. Yeah. And it was just like there were a lot of people that were watching it. And it was it was an incredible thing. So um, it, it sort of landed there. It, it was on there for about uh, two or three years. And then it got taken off because Netflix got too big. And they it was just there was uh too much competition with distributors uh, fighting over bandwidth and we just got lost in the shuffle. The reviews were great. I have no idea why they wouldn't just leave it on there. It wasn't generating a lot of income for us, so they couldn't have been paying that much. But what I understand they do is they, they go to studios and bundle like 10 movies and get a whole deal that way or something like that. Yeah. You, you didn't fit in the bundle. You weren't a major, you weren't a major film. Yeah. Um, is so it movie, on? Uh, yeah, made back about a quarter of what it cost, and uh, which, which I'll be honest, for an independent movie made with your own money, that's pretty good. I yeah. mean, it, it sounds crazy, but mo- most people don't make back a dime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's true. Yeah. The month, pretty much all the money came from Netflix. But then after that, now it's on Amazon. If anybody. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah, it's if you have an Amazon subscription, you can watch it for free. But uh, Greg pretty much just uploaded it uh, himself on there. And if you like it enough, then you can watch the sequel, which you're in. Yes. And that's Punchy a whole him. other story. That was that was a studio with celebrities and more money and everything like that. And that was a legit uh, 
a film. That was yeah. a film. Like that was, yeah. <clears throat> and we won't yeah. be able, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, thinking I could get through two movies and, you know, all the other stuff, the content you put out within an hour's time. But we, we oh, basically right. talked yeah. about Punching the Clown, which I, I think is the, like, I think it's the beginning for you. You know what I mean? And it's like, and as, and as hard as, look, I know you were on the road from the 90s to 2000. You weren't like, hey, I'm just trying to think of something to do. And then I did Punching the Clown. Like you were hustling. You were putting in the work. You were, but at the same time, when you're doing that, because of who you are, you're getting more stories. So yeah. like the stories, like when I was on the road with you, the stories, some of those stories you were telling on stage ended up in Punching Henry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I, I, it's just, it's, I think it's uh, kind of like a, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but, but knowing you and knowing full well that these are legitimate stories that happen to you, that they're almost not embellished at all. And yeah. that your reaction and your behavior within the stories is so who you are that when you see it in a movie, I'm sure there are people like, well, okay, I'm sure Henry rode an elevator with a pretty woman, but that's probably as far as that story goes. Yeah. No, no, he got off, and like, because I remember being in Peoria with you, going up in an elevator, you go, this is the elevator that that happened on. Oh, that's and I, right. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, because in my head, I was like, that's an embellished story. And you're like, no, this is the elevator. <laughs> and, I, and I could see, and I go, oh my God, this is exactly how that would happen, walking yeah. back and forth. Yeah, you reminded me. I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, it was the holiday, because, you know, after a while, a bit, becomes its own it's a bit yeah. you don't even remember where it came from you're right yeah it was the holiday inn in peoria and i was getting off the elevator and i went the wrong way and i thought well i'm just gonna stand here and hide against the wall and wait for the doors to press close. yourself against the wall so yeah, that they yeah. can't see you and the door is just standing there for an uncomfortably long amount of time and then I look across and there's a mirror and, <laughs> me and I can see them and I'm standing hiding against the wall and then the doors slowly close and I'm like, what? <laughs> what in the fuck was that? <laughs> I would love to have been on that elevator like, did you see that fucking guy? What a yeah. weirdo. <laughs> yeah, that was just, uh, it's just one of those things where you're going so far out of your way to not draw attention to yourself. <laughs> Do the opposite. Like a complete maniac. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that story. Um, well, we'll have to do like we'll do more of these because I want people to I want people to hear about because punching Henry was insane. You had J.K. Simmons fresh off of winning an Oscar yeah. in that movie. Like he was, and he was the one who was like, "Hey, punching the clown was really funny." Yeah, I'll do this second one. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Like, oh, I know that. Was I mean, I was standing there like you're putting fake ponytails on Mike Judge, and then you're like, oh, J.K. Simmons is gonna be here later. I'm like, what? Oh, so this is a movie then? Okay, <laughs> like, yeah, it was fucking was crazy. crazy. But um, also, you got some phenomenal web content that is truly like Henry's Kitchen. I, again, how is how is there not a cooking show with you? As the, I mean, this is something that I would watch. Uh, you know, every fucking day. Um, Henry's Kitchen is on YouTube, and then you have a Patreon, yeah, Patreon that has slash Henry's Kitchen and and Patreon slash Highwayman Show. That's the newest. That's, that's your newest concoction. And yeah, man, the latest one that you and I did. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's their favorite of all of them. Uh, you, you brought it. You always bring professionalism every time. That that bit that you did in punching Henry was not an easy bit because it's one of those things where it has to be played right on that line. It can't be too much because it's a joke. And so, uh, yeah, you played it perfectly. And, uh, but yeah, you, 
I feel like I have so many of those types of ideas, but you always just show up and just do it exactly in the right place. So, well, that was a the, the day I shot Punching Henry was a stressful day for you because they were like you were having to do stunt work. You were like having to fall yeah, off a stage with your guitar and not hurt yourself so you could finish the movie. It was like, yeah, well, that, yeah, that was the most intense gag, and then never even talked about how it was going to actually get done. And then on the set, they. Show the, some stuntman guy shows up and goes, hi, Henry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be teaching you your moves. And I'm like, my moves, like, I don't, what are you talking about? And then he's like, yeah, you're going to pivot and then you're going to push back and then fall on your back. But we got a mat there. And I'm like, hold on. What? <laughs> jump off the stage. And we, we got one and that was it. And it looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, Greg was like, ah, oh, I want to try another one. I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to break my neck because of this, like that, you know, we yeah, it and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And and also that to me there there is a fakeable like I first of all it does it looks great the way you guys did it but there is a fakeable way of like you start to fall the camera cuts away to everybody yeah. like wide eyed like oh shit come back you're on the ground you know a bunch of noise happens yeah. off camera whatever but but what they did having the stuntman come in I mean to whoever's idea that was their credit it it really yeah, well it's like good. uh i think uh jackie chan always talks about how when you do that cutting thing it's not as effective as just one wide shot of someone who really knows how to do the thing which jackie chan does right I mean, that's, yes that's always that's why the youtube videos work because they cap catch a guy getting kicked in the balls or something like that right right no, right but also yeah but you're not making a Jackie Chan movie. You're oh, making a comedy. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, it's like no one's like, God, I want to, if Henry's not more active in this film, I'm going to walk out. Maybe that was why that guy left. He was like, there's no action. Yeah, I never Your friend I who walked out. This. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so um, I'm still making content. I've got, uh, if you go to YouTube, you can watch The Highwayman and Henry's Kitchen. And then if you yeah. really like them, you can go to the Patreon and uh, watch all the episodes. And I would encourage that just because, like, look, the Patreon's not that much money a month. Like, I don't know what people do with their money, but since I cut back drinking, I'm like, oh, look, it sort of stacks up a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, like, and not in a way that I'm like, I'm, yeah. yeah, but and not in a way that I'm going to Hawaii every two weeks, but like in a way that's like, if I if I have five dollars, you know, or two, and and that's not even it. It's like two dollars, three dollars a month. You know, what I mean, there are levels and tiers and whatever, and you can just pitch in and 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 the content. It's worth it, man. If you look at what's I mean, there is a lot of quality programming. I'm not going to say there's not. Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, everyone's doing a really good job getting good stuff to the forefront. But but for a couple bucks a month to get some Henry's Kitchens and to get some Highwayman, and, and literally, it's the kind of thing that you share that with one person, and they're like an instant fan. There's no, yeah, I, you know. I always tell people like, uh, yeah, if it, it does not bother me one bit if somebody is just a $1, like as I've heard some people <laughs> just be like don't do a dollar you freaking cheapskate you know but it's like not for me like if the the goal would be to be able to get like you know a thousand people doing one dollar you know that's of course yeah 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 but um yeah, but at the same time well, if there's one person if there's one person giving one dollar and i know this doesn't help you financially but that's Again, this goes back to how many people are in the audience, how many asses are in the seats. It's like, who's laughing? Are the people that are here laughing? That's what matters. Yeah. The people that are paying the money are enjoying the content, and like that is the important part. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah, no. And I, I love it. There's, there are people that don't know you're a comedian, that don't know you're trying to be funny with your Henry's. Like some of the comments yeah. on the YouTube are people are like, dude, this guy, this poor yeah, guy, yeah. like, does anyone, you know, you're making a Valentine's meal for one. Yeah, it's like, yeah. dude, that shit. And then people are like, well, and this music that you make is so sad. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, no. Or there's people 
being mean, you know, they're just like, yeah. You suck. Uh, yeah, it's like this guy's putting egg in his vegan, uh, you know, even vegan thing. You know, it's like they think they're insulting me. You know, it's just, it's hilarious. That's always funny when people don't get it, when they're not in on it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude, thank you so much, man, for Absolutely. taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. We'll do this again. I'll probably have you on four or five more times in the course of this podcast to talk about the rest of your shit because it really, man, you, you're just, you're a very funny dude. You're very, uh, you know, underappreciated and uh, underused in this town. Oh, Silicon Valley. Mike yeah. Judge was in your movie. He put you in. Yeah the last couple seasons of Silicon Valley in again, an understated character who you didn't say much, but you're, it's like, it's very, it was very highwayman esque and you don't have to say a lot. Like I saw you, I was like, holy shit. You turn, we see the ponytail. And then you like, your whole thing is I work with all these servers, like just computers, like you were just that guy. And it was perfect. You know, I mean, that was, we got a huge, I mean, I was watching, I watched Silicon Valley with Nicole, but we got a huge kick out of that. That was just such a funny character. Oh, man, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. super fun. But um, anything you want to want to plug, well, you just did. We plugged Highway yeah, Man, just, we plugged Henry's yeah, Kitchen. Just go on YouTube and try to uh, look at all this stuff. Uh, that helps me, you know. And then the- and you have a stand-up special on Amazon as well that's very yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, neither here nor there. There's a full hour uh, stand-up special if you want to watch that. Yes, I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, hope you enjoyed Henry. And uh, check out his, his stuff. I guarantee you will laugh if you don't have a tiny gray heart that only beats once a year. So yeah. thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, man.